victory shout. Hey, one more time. The church of God. The church of God is moving. The church of God is moving. The battle has been won. The fall is overcome. We are marching on today. So say goodbye to doubt and give a victory shout. Hey, Pastor Augustine Herrera, please open to some prayer. Good morning, everyone. This early morning, I'm going to ask you all some pretty heavy questions. Ready? One, why are the Jews and the nation of Israel so hated? And why is the persecution of the Jews increasing so much? And it's not just increasing in Europe all over the world, so much so that many, many Jews are right now leaving those countries, leaving those businesses that they have there, leaving their homes, and they're doing aliyah, aliyah. In other words, they're leaving their countries and going back to Israel where they can feel safe and where they are protected and where there's an army that will make sure that they have more safety than what they're feeling right now in those countries. When I was in Israel a couple weeks ago, and once again, I went to the Holocaust Museum there, my third time there, and as I'm looking at the Holocaust Museum, I was struck with some of the things that I was reading. I spent hours reading stuff on the walls, and one of the things that struck me, I already knew that many Jews, way before Hitler started slaughtering and putting um, Jews in the gas chambers and slaughtering them, they were already calling out for help. They were already crying out, come help us. They were fleeing. And there was many boats of Jews that were filled with boats and they were going to all sorts of countries and nobody was accepting them. And I saw a boat called the St. Louis and it had 937 passengers, Jews that were crying out for help, and they had paperwork, immigration that was approved by Cuba, and they were on their way to Cuba. They wanted the United States, but the United States under President FDR wasn't accepting them. So they thought, I'm going to go to Cuba, we're going to go to Cuba, and then it's just a short way to the United States, and later on we'll get to the United States. It's called The Tragedy of the Passengers of the MS St. Louis. Let's look at a quick video of this.
asking for help. Like many other Jews crying out for help. And yet many turned their backs on them. France accepted some. Belgium accepted some. The Netherlands accepted some. But unfortunately, Hitler and the Nazis then invaded. And what they were trying to avoid, then 254 of these 937 still were slaughtered. Why did Hitler hate the Jews so much that 6 million of them were slaughtered? Now, today, 19, 2019, there are people who deny that it happened. Holocaust deniers, which is one of the reasons why there are Holocaust museums all over the world. So people do not forget. I, I strongly suggest, if you haven't been to the Holocaust Museum in El Paso, I've been there. You ought to go. I contacted them and um, trying to see if I can get us to be able to go next Saturday afternoon or so on. Um, so I'm working on that. But if that doesn't pan out, I strongly suggest you go. Why did Europe, Germany, France, and many other European countries allow this to happen? Ah, because they were not thinking straight. This is 2019. That was a long time ago. People just weren't humanitarian. They weren't educated. No. Many people in Germany had PhDs, master's degree. Many were highly educated. What about the Catholics and the Christians? Why did they allow this to happen? Why didn't other countries allow these refugees to come and gave them safe haven? This didn't happen from one day to the next. The worst of this was from 1939 to 1944. But from 1933, word had already got out that this was going to happen. Whenever you have a tyrant saying, we're going to do bad things, like Hitler said, or like Iran says now, or the Ayatollah, we got to listen to them. But people weren't listening. Why should we care? In 2019, why should we care, really, what happens to Israel? Many don't. Why should we care what happens to the Jews? I'm busy. I'm doing a lot of things. Why should we care? And what can we do to help the Jews today? What can we do to help the nation of Israel today? Could another Holocaust happen again? No, no, we're too educated. We're too refined now as a world. We're not, that's not going to happen. Does the Bible predict, warn about something like this happening? Yes. And much worse. This Sunday school is going to be today and next Sunday, and it's called The Rise of Global Anti-Semitism. The Rise of Global Anti-Semitism. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he told the Jews of his day, that generation, because you've rejected me and all you are doing is embracing your tradition, your temple, and you've rejected me. You're slaughtering lambs, but I am the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, and you're rejecting me. Then God is rejecting you. And very soon, you're going to be invaded you're going to, this, all of this country is going to be destroyed. This temple, not one stone will be left upon another. And you will be scattered throughout the world, persecuted more than any other group. And he gives us, in Matthew chapter 24, 
Luke chapter 21, Mark chapter 13, a synopsis of that, which is spoken about in the Old Testament as well. Let's read our text, and let's see how Jesus warns them. This is just a few scriptures, but there's a lot more. Matthew 24, 1 through 9. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? And when he says your coming, what they were referring to is the second coming. We always think about the rapture, okay? The Bible is very clear. There is actually three. Jesus, when he came 2,000 years ago and came to die on the cross for our sins, the rapture of the church, and whoever gives their lives to Christ and is ready, and then the second coming. They were referring to, when are you going to come and establish your throne on the earth, which we know as the millennium? Or as in the book of Jeremiah, it calls it that seven-year period of time called Jacob's trouble. Then Jesus said in verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these must come to pass. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you, talking about the Jews, to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations, all nations, for my name's sake. He goes on then to speak in the following verses, referring to the prophet Daniel. And Daniel speaks about his people, the Jews, talking where the Holy Spirit is speaking to the Jews and to his people. And he says, there's coming a period of time, a seven-year period of time, what we call the Great Tribulation, where there will be, in Matthew chapter 24 as well, a temple built again. Well, Israel will be destroyed, but yet in the last generation there will be a temple again, and the Antichrist will go into that temple and do the abomination of desolation, where he says, I'm God, worship me. And then at that point starts the great tribulation where the Antichrist kills. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 13, and we'll read a little bit about that right now. It says, in the future, he's going to kill two-thirds of all worldwide Jews. Two-thirds. Now, Hitler killed six million. The Bible says two-thirds of all future Jews in this Holocaust will be slaughtered. The good news, the remaining one-third, all Israel will be saved. Now, right now, there are about 18 million Jews in the world. That means 12 million, double what Hitler killed, is what's the future. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2 to 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations, I keep on stressing all, all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Now, the Bible is very clear. God has a future. 
And that future is Israel-centric, the Jew-centric. Even though many people are discounting the Jews, the Bible says the future is difficult, but it's also bright for the Jews. Let's first start off with the definition of anti-Semitism. Now, anti-Semitism, if you look at the dictionary, it is a hostility, a hatred, a prejudice, a discrimination against the Jews. And if you look at the origins of this and the history of anti-Semitism, it didn't start with Hitler. It was way before that. It didn't start even with pogroms, P-O-G-R-O-M-S. That's what the communists would do, and that's what Stalin would do when they would kill many Jews. It wasn't just Hitler, but it started way before that. How about, you remember when there was a pharaoh, and this pharaoh in Egypt did not remember the previous pharaoh that had a great deal and partnership with Joseph. When Joseph was his leader, took care of him, and so the Pharaoh took care of him and his family, 70 people, and he allowed them to live in Egypt and gave them the best land, Goshen. And this 70 people group grew to 2 million, the Hebrews or the Jews. But this new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph started enslaving the Jews, the Hebrews, and treated them very badly, that the people cried out to God for a deliverer. And what does this Pharaoh do? He hears of this and he kills all of the babies, right? But Moses was spared and the deliverer came. You remember, it wasn't just the Egyptians. How about all of the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Hittites, the Amalekites that were always trying to destroy the Jews and Israel? This went back and has always been a history of trying to kill and try to subjugate the Jews. How about in Old Testament times, the Persian Empire, which today is called Iran. But the Persian Empire had a king. And he also had a good, I think it was working out good with the Jews. In fact, who was his wife? Who was his wife? Queen Esther. But there was a man that worked for him that was wicked. And he was a descendant of King Agag and the Amalekites. God had told the Jews, you make sure you kill all the Amalekites, and they didn't do it. And one of the descendants was Haman. And Haman had a plot to kill all the Jews. Thank God that God, through the use of Esther and Mordecai, caused it to where it didn't happen, and it turned for the good for the Jews. But this has been going on since that time. In addition, then you look at what King Herod did when he heard there's a Messiah coming, there's a deliverer coming, there's a king of the Jews coming. So King Herod tried to find out where this baby was going to be born, and he was fooled. So what did he do? He killed all of the male children, two years and younger, in all the vicinity of Bethlehem. Thank God, of course, Jesus was still born. How about shortly thereafter? How about the anti-Semitism of the Romans in 70 AD when they destroyed all Israel? And didn't just destroy it in that temple, but the women were raped and ravished. The children were enslaved 
the men tortured and killed. One million Jews were killed at that time. You know Masada. About a thousand Jews went up to the mountain. Masada tried to hide there, but they also ended up um, not living too long. And that's another story. But this was a terrible bloodshed, persecution of the Jews. And whatever Jews were remaining were scattered. And later on, the next Roman Empire changed the name from Israel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and they called it Syria, Palestina, or Palestine. So from that time to today's time, it's called Palestine, where it should have been called for all of those 2,000 years what it was, because Israel has been in that land a 1,000 years before Jesus, King David. But it was changed to Palestine. 600 years later, there was a man that was born, and his name was Muhammad. And Muhammad started a religion called Islam. And he took a lot of the Old Testament writings and he incorporated it into his book, the Quran. One of the most anti-Semitic, demonic activities that has ever happened in the history of mankind. This religion is not just anti-Semitic, it's demonic. He then dies, and shortly thereafter, they build a temple there where the dome used to be. Picture number, um, you know what I, picture number three. Let's jump to picture number three, brother. So he builds, not him, but the, his followers after that build this dome of the rock. We go to the next picture where the temple of the Jews used to be. The Romans destroyed that in 70 A.D. 70 A.D. And the Jews thought, no, that's not going to happen. Not only was it destroyed, you still see many of the boulders and the blocks on the ground there today, as Jesus had said. But in its place, put it back, the next picture, picture three. In its place, the Muslims built that temple. And that's been there and is there today. For almost 2,000 years, the Jews were wandering the world. In fact, they're, they're called the wandering Jews. No place to stay, nomads. And wherever they went to the four corners of the world, they're persecuted more than any other ethnic group. Yet, the miracle is, you can take that picture off, brother. Yet the miracle is that many of them have kept their bloodline. Many of them kept their culture, their religion. Miracle of God. Then, after many years, in fact, in 1881, the heart of many of these Jews was, we want to go back to our nation. We want to go back to our, to our land. But there was no nation, but they went back. So in 1881, a small number of them started buying land from the Ottoman Turks, because it was the Ottoman Turkish Empire. So they started, and the Ottoman Turks said, if you want to buy this land, it's no good. Sure, we'll sell it to you. And so they bought it, and they started planting trees, draining the swampland. And by 1900, there was already 25,000 Jews there. But the world and the surrounding Arab nations, Muslim nations, didn't want them to become a nation again. And they subjected them to a lot of difficult times, but they stayed there. England, the United Kingdom. It was said at that point that the 
sun does not set on the British Empire. It was powerful. When you think about the British Empire and the United Kingdom today, you think about the Queen and so on. I mean, it's not much. It's, it's nothing. What happened to it? Because at that point, they could have helped out the Jews, and they didn't. They could have helped Israel become a nation early in the 1900s and avoid all of this, and they didn't. Remember Genesis chapter 12. Go ahead and put Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God says, I will bless those who bless you, Israel and the Jew, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, which through Jesus and the Bible we have been. But that right there is a direct correlation of what the United Kingdom and what had happened to them. They were powerful, but because they didn't support the Jews, then God judged them. Hitler's genocide. He slaughtered six million Jews, and the world, before this happened, didn't believe it. There was notes, there was telegrams, there was all sorts of information going out, but the, the world didn't take them seriously. Why did Germany do this? I'm going to tell you, even though they were highly educated, they were going through hard economic times. It was called the Weimar Republic. And so they were having a terrible depression, economically hurting terribly. And because of money, and Hitler said, I'm going to help you. We're going to turn this thing around. They started, and they started seeing, because of his war machine and taking money from other countries, and they started doing pretty well. So when he started going after the Jews, they knew better but they listened to him and money rather than protecting what they know was right. Their convictions were trumped, sorry to use that word, by, their, by money. The Vatican. The Vatican at that time had the opportunity to help the Jews. They didn't. In fact, there's a book, and at that point, the Pope then was uh, Pius XII. And there's a book that was written years ago, and it was called Hitler's Pope, because the Vatican actually enabled much of this to happen. Instead of helping out, they didn't. And we'll get into why in a while. Where were the other nations, though? Canada, the United States, and many other nations that could have helped the fleeing Jews. How about the U.S.? The U.S. State Department, when Trump talks about, we need to drain the swamp, I'm going to tell you something. There was already draining of swamp that was needed at that time because the State Department had anti-Semites in it, anti-Semitic people in it, even at that time. President FDR, he was already leaning more to helping the Arabs and the money and the oil than the Jews. But he was persuaded by some people in the State Department to not help out. That St. Louis ship, 937 people, what's it going to cost you? Go ahead and let them come in. But you know what they did? When that ship came close to Florida, the State Department made it to where they sent the Coast Guard and they said, if anybody tries to jump off that ship, do not let them come into U.S. waters. And so they prevented that. God sees all of this, and the President of the United States dies. 
FDR. And his vice president becomes president, Harry Truman, who nobody ever thought he was going to become president. In fact, Harry Truman wasn't even included in a lot of meetings and didn't even know a lot of things that was happening in high levels of the FDR administration. FDR dies. Truman becomes president. He's a Christian. His mom had taught him about the Bible. And the next thing you know, he helps Israel become a nation again against the wishes of the State Department. There was a man who was a general. Perhaps after World War II, you remember the Marshall Plan. Remember that? The Marshall Plan, where Marshall, he had developed an idea and said, we need to help Europe reconstruct. And so they gave them 12 billion dollars. In today's dollars, that's over a hundred billion dollars to be able to fix their economy, fix their in infrastructure, and get away from the communists, make them strong. And it worked. And this general, Marshall, became a hero. But then he also became a stopgate to Harry Truman, President Truman, who wanted Israel to become a nation again. And thank God for Harry Truman. He didn't listen to him. He supported and pushed the United Nations, who had just become the United Nations, to support Israel, and Israel became a nation again, May 14, 1948. And ever since Israel became a nation again, the, the anti-Semitism and the persecution continued. The very next day, five Arab nations attack Israel, and by God's providence, Israel wins. These were people who had just come out of the Holocaust. If you look at some of these soldiers, I mean, they were so thin because many of them, skin and bones. And God's providence helped them to win. They attacked them again in 1956. Israel was able to prevail again. 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel won again. 1973, in the Yom Kippur War, Israel won again. 1982, in the Lebanon War, Israel was able to still stay. And today, today, you have all of the Arab nations wanting to destroy them. Remember Mahmoud Ahmadinejad from, from Iran? He was always threatening at the United Nations, we're going to destroy Israel. Nobody was pushing back on him, as they should have. Not certainly the United Nations. We're going to get into that in a little while. Even Iran today, how about Iran's proxy in Lebanon today, Hezbollah? They have 100,000 rockets ready to rain down on Israel. Who's saying something about that? How about Hamas? Hamas is a terrorist organization in Gaza. In 2005, the world was putting pressure on Israel and saying, you need to give up more land for peace. Land for peace. But unfortunately, the people on the other side of the negotiating table don't really want peace. But they pushed the prime minister of Israel to do it. His name was... Um, Sharon, and um, um, he went ahead and pushed the Jews out of Gaza. They um, evacuated it and had to have soldiers to take the Jews out of there who had been there since 1967. They had families there. They had businesses there. And when they pulled out, everybody says, all right, Israel, now you're going to see that it's going to work out good. Well, it didn't. The Palestinians in Gaza moved in there, and they had all of this food, all of this agriculture. Greenhouses were all destroyed. And what did they do in the place? 
they voted in Hamas, a terrorist organization whose charter, you can look it up, includes the destruction of Israel. And yet nobody says anything. The world should be saying, whoa, from now on, we're not going to listen to the Palestinians. They're liars. And the media should be calling it for what it is, but they're not. Because the media, the United Nations, are not for Israel. They are anti-Semitic. Who is the United Nations? Well, the United Nations is 193 nations, of which 25% of them hate Israel. Muslim nations that don't support Israel. Then you have Europe. Europe used to be, I mean, where did the United States come from? It came really from people who were born-again Christians, evangelists, that wanted to start in a new country and wanted to be able to have freedom of religion, freedom of speech, be able to not just listen to the one church in the UK. And so they came over, but Europe had a lot of powerful evangelists, powerful preachers. Today, it's backslidden. And today, what's happening in Europe is the book that Hitler wrote in 1925 called Mein Kampf is resurgent and it's very popular. I'm going to show a video right now, video number two. And another video where it's going to show how the anti-Semitism in Europe is getting to the point where as I read about it, I'm like, doesn't anybody see this? Video number two. Anti-Semitism most prevalent, the Middle East and North Africa region, where 74% of people surveyed held anti-Semitic views. In the West Bank and Gaza, 93%. Iraq, 92%. Iran got the lowest score in the region, 56%. One response in particular is likely to alarm Jewish leaders. Only 38% of people in this region have heard of the Holocaust. Of those who have heard about it, 22% agreed it's been described fairly by history. 63% think the Holocaust was a myth or exaggeration. What region is the least anti-Semitic? That would be the Americas, where less than one in five people overall hold anti-Semitic views. One in five. In the U.S., it's about one in 11. What about Europe? In Western Europe, the average score is 24%. But in Eastern Europe and Russia, anti-Semitic attitudes are 10% higher. Now I'm going to show you a video that's about four years old, and it shows the anti-Semitism in Europe, and it's much worse today. I'll show you a lot more, but this is just four years ago. Video number three, please. Tonight, armed guards have been posted at synagogues throughout Germany for the start of Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. Mark Phillips reports anti-Semitism is once again on the rise in Europe, especially in Germany. The tensions have been building in Germany since demonstrations against last summer's Gaza war exposed a clear anti-Jewish sentiment. Chants were heard that echoed from Germany's darkest times. Jew, Jew, cowardly pig, they say. We haven't had this dimension at all before. When you imagine that in German streets you hear people chanting, a roaring mob chanting Jews to be gassed, to be slaughtered, to be burned. Dieter Graumann is president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany. Do you see it as well as having spiked because of the 
passions that were stirred up by the events in Gaza? Well, this is cited as a reason for that, but I think, don't think it's a reason. It's a pretext. It's an occasion to let it out. Much of the more incendiary street rhetoric has come from German Muslims, many recent immigrants. But Monica Schwartz-Friesel of Berlin's Technical University has studied thousands of anti-Semitic emails sent to German Jewish institutions and made a disturbing discovery. We saw that more than 60% of the writers who clearly invoke anti-Semitic stereotypes come from the middle of society and many of them are highly educated. The memories of Jewish persecution of the November 1938 Kristallnacht, when Jewish institutions were destroyed, are burned into German memory. And Frankfurt's main synagogue, badly damaged that night, is now under armed guard. Anti-Israeli protests that become anti-Semitic demonstrations may be taking place all across Europe, but nowhere are the echoes more sinister than here in Germany. This may not be 1938, but once again, the Jewish community here says it feels like it's under siege. Are people here now living in fear? They are worried. Um, many, many Jews here ask that question, has um, our Jewish population a future in Germany? I haven't heard that question for many, many years. No now, though, the question is being asked again. Mark Phillips, CBS News, Frankfurt. So because of this, there are Jews in these nations, video number four in a while, that are saying, I'm not going to let this happen to my family, what happened years ago to my grandparents. So people in France, for example, 10,000 of them are leaving. Video number four. July 2014, a demonstration against Israel takes place in defiance of a ban by France's interior minister who is concerned about potential anti-Semitic violence. Some 3,000 protesters from Europe's largest Muslim population clash with Parisian police. Displays like this and an uptick in recent years of anti-Semitic violence are contributing to a growing exodus of French Jews. It's a trend that predates an Islamic militant connected to the Charlie Hebdo gunman targeting a kosher supermarket, killing four hostages before he himself was killed in a police raid. Nearly 7,000 French Jews moved to Israel last year. This year, the number is expected to grow to 10,000. France has the world's third largest Jewish population. What is the origin of France's Jewish community? For centuries, France has had a strong and largely assimilated Jewish population, totaling before World War II around 300,000 people. After the Germans invaded the country, Nazi officials and the French Vichy government conducted roundups of Jews, sending nearly a quarter of the population to death camps. In 1995, France's then-president Jacques Chirac reached out to France's Jewish community to acknowledge his country's role in the Holocaust, saying it will soil our history forever. After the war, France became home to 40,000 Jewish refugees from across Europe. A new influx of Jewish immigrants arrived in the 1950s and 1960s, this time many of them coming not from other parts of Europe, but former French colonies in North Africa, where they faced growing persecution. By the time Algeria became independent in 1962, most of its 120,000 Jews had already moved to France. The North African Jews brought with them a more religiously oriented culture, building Jewish schools, kosher restaurants, and synagogues. In recent years, these very institutions have become the targets of anti-Semitic violence. In 2012, for example, a French Islamist killed three children and a rabbi at a Jewish school in the southwestern city of Toulouse. How bad has the situation gotten? 
In 2013, there were a total of 432 reported anti-Semitic incidents in France, up from just 82 in 1999. So, bad enough for Jewish leaders worldwide to express their concern, even before the Paris attacks, which have put the problems of France's Jewish population in the global spotlight. That's the short answer. What's causing all of this? You know, I'm going to show you a video in a little while where Bill O'Reilly, he's a very smart man. And about four years ago, he was trying to figure out why all this is happening. And it's very telling um, in that video. But before that, so many of these Muslims were let go or allowed to leave Syria and hotbeds and move to Europe. So when these people hate the Jews and you move them to these countries, well, of course, some of that's going to be happening. But the other part is there's lies that are being perpetuated, and people are believing it. For instance, hey, Israel, how come you are not supporting the Palestinians? This is their land. They've been there. This is not your land. And I've already tried to show you earlier in this that before it was Palestinian, it was Judea, Sumeria, Jerusalem, Israel. It was only called Palestine when the Romans destroyed it and named it that. And, you know, before Israel became a nation again, the Palestine newspaper was Jewish. The Palestine post office, they were Jews. They weren't Muslims. The Palestine symphony and orchestra were Jews. But you keep on repeating a lie often and often enough, then people start believing that the Palestinians weren't the Jews, but were these Muslim Arabs that, truth be told, they're Jordanians. They're Egyptians. They're Syrians. So that's lie number one. Lie number two is, hey, Israel, you are racist. You are causing apartheid. You know, apartheid is a very uh, clear um, slap in the face. Why is that? Because in Africa, South Africa, that's what they would do is they would be racial. They would cause the blacks to be separated from the whites and treat them as second-class citizens. And they're saying, Israel, that's what you're doing to the Palestinians. That's why it's important for everybody to go to Israel at least once. You will be blown away that out of Israel's population, it's a small country the size of New Jersey, the size of San Bernardino County, 20% of their population are Arab Muslims that Israel has given them citizenship. So in the city, you have people who are Arabs and people who are Jews walking hand-in-hand, in hand, working hand-in-hand. Hand. So when you're buying things and you go to the market, you're seeing both, and they work out. And any Israeli Arab Muslim gets all of the privileges that any Jew does. Healthcare, universities, whatever that a Jew can get, so can the Israeli Arab Muslims. There is no apartheid. It's a lie. But the United Nations keeps on pushing it. So why is this happening? Let's look at Bill O'Reilly's video. Unresolved problems have been tonight the rise of anti-Semitism. The conflict between Israel and Hamas has galvanized people all over the world to take sides. In Miami Beach, worshippers at a synagogue recently found their cars vandalized. Also in Northeast Aid County, a swastika painted on a synagogue. And all over the world, there are anti-Jewish demonstrations.
There was hope that in the wake of the Holocaust uh, that anti-Semitism would end and that the establishment of Israel would bring it to an end. And really what happened in, with historical perspective is that the brief period after the Holocaust made it politically incorrect to be anti-Semitic. And now you have anti-Semitism really coming to the surface again. Joining us now from Washington, Steve Bushi from the Heritage Foundation. So how bad is this current anti-Semitism? Is it, is it a dangerous situation or just an annoyance? Well, I have to say, Bill, it's way more than an annoyance. Uh, as you mentioned in your examples, we have problems with it here. Europe is far worse. They've had major riots that have not just been anti-Israeli policy, but are blatantly anti-Jewish. What is driving those demonstrations? Is it all jihadist sympathizers? No, I mean, they're predominantly the immigrant Muslim populations in Germany and France, for instance, but there are significant numbers of German citizens, native German citizens, and native French citizens, either from the far right or the far left, who blame Israel and are turning it into an anti-Jewish campaign. Is there a theme? I mean, when you say blame Israel, it's a fairly... Uh, you know, rational, clear-minded people understand that Hamas is a terror group and it is uh, committed to killing Jews and wiping Israel off the face of the earth. That's not debatable. That's a fact. And then when Hamas starts to uh, attack and throw rockets into civilian areas in Israel, Israel, of course, has to defend itself. So there's not a rationality there uh, or a moral equivalency. So then when people take the sides of Hamas, this is my question. Is it just they hate Jews? I'm mean, like, they would hate Irish or, or hate blacks? Is that what drives it? Uh, well, you and I would agree there's no rational defense for what Hamas does. But some of their supporters are not rational, and they have translated this into an attack on all Jews. Uh, that that anti-Semitism has been below the surface, but not much below. And this conflict has now allowed it to come to the surface. Now, historically speaking, there was an anti-Semitism in Europe because many of the uh, people who controlled the land and the banks were Jewish. And that uh, had resentment among the people who didn't have money and didn't have land. But now it's not that way. Now it's a pluralistic society. So I'm not understanding why a German or a French person, non-jihadist, not I understand that crazy mm -hmm. philosophy, why they would hate Jews. Jews are a very small minority. They're not around very much. In America, I think four million Jews. That's all. I mean, why do they hate these people? For what reason? Uh, it's a very visceral thing. It goes back, in some cases, the far right and alignment with, with Nazism, the far left with uh, strong communism, both of whom hated Jews and, and persecuted them. So the connection is still there. But why? Why did the uh, Nazis and the communists select the Jews? Because I think our audience in America needs to know the historical perspective. Why were they singled out? Well, in the case of the Nazis, it was Hitler's irrational view 
that Jews were somehow subhuman, were less than, than the pure Germans, of which he wasn't one either. Uh, on the, le the left side, the communists, a lot of them were Jews when started out, but they turned it around, particularly with Stalin, where he saw them as a competitor and a group that needed to be crushed and destroyed so that he could have full power. So isn't it, though, that the Jewish people are um, very close-knit, and, and that was, uh, I don't know, that was a red flag to some people? I never really understood the anti-Semitism. I never really got it. I think it was economically based back in the Middle Ages, but I'll give you the last word. Well, it's, uh, they, they have a closeness. Other groups have a closeness. Uh, the Jews mostly were forced to have a closeness just to survive. Just to survive, uh, It is irrational. <laughs> They're grappling, trying to find out. I'll tell you what it is. It's spiritual. The devil, he hates God, and he hates God's people. He hates you, Christian, and he hates the Jews. People say, oh, it's because the Jews killed Jesus. No, our sin killed Jesus. And if the Jews would have accepted Jesus, Jesus would have still had to die on the cross. So it's all excuses and lies, but the bottom root of this, it's spiritual. Next week, we're going to get into a lot more of this. We're going to see, unfortunately, that this isn't just four years old. It's a lot more, and it's in the United States, and it's blatant. Thank God for President Trump that he is supporting Israel, because that didn't happen in the previous administration. And everybody on the other party is not wanting to support Israel. They are right now ver verbally coming out and saying, if I, get, if I become president, I'm not going to support Israel economically. And it looks difficult. So it's critical that we study this, we understand it, and we understand what the Bible says about it. I'm going to end it off. I guess we got questions for, uh, time for one or two questions. One or two questions or input. Back there, Mary. Anybody else? Mary. Yes, Ernie. It, uh, to me, it's all demonically uh, orchestrated because um, I was doing a Bible study last week, and the, he, asked, the pastor asked the question, why are the Jews the chosen people? And I wondered, and I couldn't come up with an answer, but then he gave the answer, and he said, because um, God gave them the word of God, and he told them, write it in your hearts, memorize it in your mind, and pass it down to your children. Yes. And tell those around you. And um, that's why they were the chosen people, because they were given the word of God. Yeah, yeah. yeah God could have chosen anybody, couldn't have. But he, in his sovereignness, chose them. And the devil has been against God and his people, the Jews and us Christians, ever since. Last question. Anybody? Question, input? Next week, I really encourage you to come and bring people because it's going to be very enlightening. And God's going to help us. God bless you.